0: Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple. Find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. Well, we are on week number three of our series that we've called We Are, where we are exploring the various aspects that make us who we are as a church. The first week, we said that we are one of many, meaning that as a church, we are not in this alone, that we are part of a long history of men and women gathered together in a a gathering called the church, and that we are part of God's grand design, God's grand narrative that He's been writing. We trace it all the way back to Genesis 20, and then Genesis 12, even further back, His promise given to Abraham to bless the entire world. Of Jesus comes from the line, the family of Abraham. Jesus institutes the church, and so here we are. We're part of something bigger than just us. I encourage you that in your personal faith that you would take a moment and that you would look in the rearview mirror of your faith to see that your faith is not just your faith. That yes, your faith is personal, but its expression is communal. Hebrews 11 and 12 gives us this picture of all of those who have gone before us, cheering us on and rooting us on in the mission that God has given us. So your faith is part of a bigger story, just as the church is part of a bigger story. And now we carry that message forward as those who will come after us will carry the message forward as well. Week number two, we talked about we are committed, and we did a contrast between a comfortable church and a committed church. And encouraging us that we would be committed to the cause and the mission of Christ. And sometimes that can be painful. It means dying to ourselves to embrace the message and the plan that God has for us as part of the greater community. And today I want us to put two heavyweights into the ring that have gone toe-to-toe for the past 2,000 years, a Jesus versus religion, in a message that I've titled, We Are Not Religious. Join me as we pray. So Spirit of God, as we open up your word, would you speak to us? And I pray that you would speak beyond my words, but that you would speak to each person exactly what it is that they need to hear. I pray that we would leave more convinced of your love for us, that we would leave more convinced of your goodness and your plans for us, that we would leave convinced that you are for us. That you've not written us off, that you've not ignored us, that not, you have not moved on past us, but that you are actively in pursuit of us. So Holy Spirit, would you speak? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've, I've wrestled with how to say this first part because I don't want to offend anyone, but if you know me, you know that there are parts of uh, the, the Christian religious culture that It's just not my thing. Uh, Most Christian movies, I don't want to offend you, but most Christian movies, not my thing. It may have a really good message, but I can't get past the horrible acting. Like, for example, I don't know if you saw this one, but go to that slide. Nicolas Cage and Left Behind, not a good movie. It was almost a comedy. Now, if you liked it, that's okay. But Cage not the guy you want for this role, right? So I, I struggle with things like this. It could be a great message, but you know, Christian culture sometimes we kind of fly in under the radar with stuff that's like, eh. I wonder sometimes if producers were like, "Oh, the church will buy it. The church will buy anything." So it's just I struggle with it. A lot of the Christian products today, not really my thing. Like like this one, Testaments. Pass the word right? I mean, it's like, all right, so it's a little clever, 12 pieces of sugar-free gum, powerful fresh breath with a powerful message. Matter of fact, I did some reading on this. One of the slogans that uh, were passed by was, uh, send bad breath to hell. True story. That was one of the slogans passed by. So it's like, it's it's just not my thing. And then Christian culture, stuff like this. You know, there's a t-shirt that says, Bloodweiser. The wise men knew his blood's for you. It's a little dumb. You may have that shirt, and that's okay. If you're wearing it now, I'm really sorry. That's going to be awkward. But it's like, it's kind of clever, but it's just, it's like, ah. Uh, I mean, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't wear it. But that's just me. And that's stuff you see on late night TV for evangelists and TV pastors who, you know, push things like Miracle Spring Water you know, receive your biblical point of contact, and then, but wait, call now for free larger Miracle Spring Water. I struggle with things like this, and, and it, it's, a, it's not that, you know, that I'm all for faith and all for the, but I, sometimes I look at Christian culture, I'm like, eh, it's like, it's, it's just not who I am. There was a, a, a church uh, at a home before we moved out to Surprise. I drove by every day, and, and they had one of those signs out in front of the church, and somebody on staff or in the church would put up those witty Christian, witty Christian sayings that go on church signs, things like, um, party in hell canceled because of fire. Like, well, that's I mean, kind of, that's kind of creative there, and, uh, but then it got, you know, stuff that's like, I, I want to distance myself from that, like tsunami, AIDS, war, do you hear me now, God. Like, yeah, that's not really the message that you slap on a sign, and, And then they try to get cued, you may party in hell, but you'll be the barbecue. Like, okay, so there's just stuff like that. One is is a a true marriage, male, female, and God. And it's not that I don't agree with marriage and and that's the way that that God designed it. You know, there's some truth in it, but uh, there's times I look at the Christian religious culture and think, is this the best we got? I mean, th- this, is, this is it. Why, why, why is it that religion wants to reduce a difficult situation and a difficult topic into a small, bite-sized chunk, where we're quick to remove uh, the human story, we're quick to remove humanity attached to the situation, we're quick to ignore story, uh, the, someone's story or feelings, all in an effort to summarize the Essence of God on a billboard in 50 letters or less. And it's just one of those things that, for me personally, it's just a lot of those things in the Christian culture. It's just like, man, God is so much bigger than the little message that we try to throw on people. And I, I don't know if you've ever done this, but have you ever shied away from telling someone you're a Christian, not because you're ashamed of Jesus? But you just didn't want to be tied to some of Christian culture that's out there that just isn't really who you are. You know, you want to distance yourself from those who are picketing and those who are involved in some things that just say, that's not my tribe, that's, that's not part of, of, of what I want to be about. And there would be some that would see Jesus and religion as being one and the same. But the truth is, is that Jesus was consistently distancing himself from religion And from those who were trapped in religious etiquette. You read the Gospels, and you'll find that the debate that he had, the conflict that he had, was not with sinners, was not with those in sexual immorality or with thieves or with liars. It wasn't even with those in government who were abusing their power. That the tension came from those who were in his own religious circle. Those who were so wrapped in religion that they could not see the work of God that was going on in front of them. Matter of fact, Jesus told them that you think your rules and regulations are bringing you life, but your do's and don'ts are actually choking life out of you because you have settled for a religion and you've pulled away from the relationship that God is trying to establish with you. Jesus, you've heard me say, was never interested in forming a new religion. Uh, This time in first century uh, uh, Rome, uh, Greek, Roman culture had a plethora of gods to choose from. Jesus never stepped onto the scene to give another religion or another religious opportunity. He was actually pulling people, moving people down a path that they had never known that was unlike anything anyone had ever known. That he was actually trying to to get them to move from religious protocol and into a new relationship with God that moved and breathed and lived and had life to it. See, all religions are the same and that all religions promote some form of works plan that gains God's love and God's approval and hopefully life eternal. Religion would say that you must do this and you must not do that that you must perform to this level, that you must become enlightened to progress or reinvent yourself or reincarnate so that your good works, your good works can tip the scales in your favor. And yet Jesus arrives on the scene, and his message is you can't tip the scales in your favor, but I can tip them for you. And Jesus begins to, to deconstruct religion. Jesus was saying what you don't need is a new set of rules and do's and don'ts. What you need is for someone who can do it for you. And so if you retain anything today, catch this. Jesus deconstructed religion by taking away the works plan. He said that it's not about your good need, your good deeds. It's not whether your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. It's not about your morality. It's not about your self-help program. It's about a God who so loved the world that he gave of himself. He said it's about a God who said, you can't get to me, so I'm coming to you. That that which separates us, that sin, could finally be removed. And Jesus deconstructed religion by saying it really has nothing to do with with your works. It's all about God and his grace. Now, with this backdrop in mind, I want us to unpack an encounter that we found in, find in Mark chapter 3, the gospel of Mark, where Jesus goes into a synagogue and he, is, uh, he encounters some religious leaders and they have a run-in. We're going to see Jesus standing against religion. We'll be in Mark chapter 3, verse 1. He, speaking of Jesus, entered again Into the synagogue. Now, this was a regular occurrence. Jesus went there to pray and to worship and to teach. And on this one occasion, he has a run in with religious leaders. He entered again into the synagogue. A man, and a man was there whose hand was withered. Now, The gospel writer, Mark the evangelist, does not go into much detail as to why the man's hand is like it is. Apparently, Jesus did not ask. He didn't ask, how long have you been like this? What happened? Was it like this from birth? Did it happen from an accident? It it appears Jesus' concern was uh, not so much on the reason as it was on the remedy. So now understand, at this time in history, if you suffered a birth defect or if you were poor or you had a sickness, the religious saw it as something that you did to upset God, and therefore you are now reaping the wrath of God upon you. Matter of fact, if you were in a situation of a birth defect or sickness or even poverty, they would tell you what your sin was and what, what it is that you've done, you've done or your parents done or your grandparents have done, that have put you in this unfortunate situation. Have you ever been kicked when down? This is what it was like, the religious kicking you, while they were down. And so Jesus, we're going to see, takes a, a, a firm stance against this. Religion has traditionally been very good at diagnosing people's problems, but doing very little to actually help them out of their problem. And We're about to see that Jesus was not interested in diagnosing, but he was interested in displaying his power and his mercy and his love towards this man. Verse two. They were watching him to see If he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. Now, the they that Mark refers to are the Pharisees. We find this out later in the chapter. They are one of two major religious groups at the time. Uh, these guys had large chunks of the Bible, uh, Old Testament uh, memorized. Their study of Scripture was unmatched. But somewhere along the way, their devotion to God was reduced to religious rules and regulations that really no one could meet. Jewish law said that you were not permitted to work on the Sabbath. But these guys took this to extremes. A matter of fact, in the mission, you know, the uh, oral tradition uh, and, and teachings, Rabbis came up with 39 major categories with hundreds of subcategories that uh, that outlined what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath and what was considered work. You could lift a certain amount of weight, but if you went over that weight, suddenly you were working. And so they had all of these categories listed out and all of these rules and all of these regulations under their religion. And so they're watching Jesus to see if he would quote work on the sabbath by healing a man look at the passage again they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the sabbath so that they might accuse him here's my first thought religion looks for a reason to critique and condemn but jesus looks for opportunities for to influence and inspire we, we see this here. these guys are looking for an opportunity to to step up to Jesus and and to critique and to condemn him and to actually keep the work of God from moving forward and The truth is not much has changed in two thousand years. so I found that there are typically two types of people in the church: there are pillars in the church, and pillars are strong and they are stable, and they're unwavering, and they are dedicated, and they're persistent, and pillars hold, and they support, and pillars build people up, and they speak life into the church, and they show up on Sunday looking to inspire and to influence, and there are all different kinds of pillars in this church, each bearing a different weight, but collectively, pillars support the weight and the movement and the ministry of the church. Now, in contrast to pillars, there are also caterpillars. Now, caterpillars have one job in life. You know what it is? It's to eat. Not a bad job, mind you, but that's the one job that they have. See, during a larva stage, a caterpillar can consume well over 200 times its body weight. That's all that they do is consume. While pillars give, caterpillars take. And usually, while caterpillars are consuming, they're quick to point out when and where the consumption isn't to their liking. And that's what was starting to happen here, that these guys are consuming and they're taking and something's about to go down that they don't like. It affects their consumption and they're about to critique Jesus because he's stepping on their toes and he's stepping on their consumption or what they've become comfortable with in the synagogue or or in religious life. Caterpillars are the first in the church to complain about something that disrupts their consumption. It could be anything from the music to the sermon to the decor to a t-shirt that somebody had on. It, It makes them feel uncomfortable and you're interfering with my consumption and my job is to eat and you're making it difficult for me to eat in peace. And so caterpillars like to complain and and, and and they, they, they like to, to let you know that some, if something is interrupting their consumption, they will let you know post-haste. Pillars are interested in helping someone move beyond their dysfunction. Often caterpillars are consumed with pointing a finger at what's messed up in someone's life and how it's making them uncomfortable at church. And unfortunately... Over 20 plus years of being a pastor, I've had the conversations of people who have come and said things like, did you see what so-and-so's wearing? I don't like it. They're interfering with my consumption and it's making me uncomfortable and I'm here to eat. Listen, as we prepare to step into the next chapter of Reveals Future, there's, there's value in all of us asking this question. Am I more interested in diagnosing and critiquing the dysfunctions of the church and those in the church or am I committed to being a pillar that supports my church and in turn helps people out of their dysfunction? See, the church needs less people pointing fingers. As a whole, the universal church needs less people pointing fingers and more people lending a hand. Every church, including ours, needs more hands and less fingers. Some of you, I've seen how you drive. You need less fingers (laughs) in your driving. Listen, let me just be honest with you. If you're looking for a reason to critique and to condemn, you're going to find it here. Because everyone here is on different places in their spiritual journey Everyone here is in a certain point of transformation that God is doing. And if you want to come to People Watch to critique, there's always going to be opportunity. There's always going to be a mess in the church. Personally, as a pastor, the more messy the church, the better, because it means people who don't know church life are constantly coming in. And they're constantly being taught and transformed and coming in to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And so I invite you that you would be a pillar, not a caterpillar, in this church, that you would support the weight of this church. So I told you last week there's a table out in the lobby, four areas that we need help in making this move go off smoothly. One, we need baristas who are going to be part of our coffee bar ministry. We're not just doing drip coffee, but there'll be some coffee uh, drinks that will be mixed and prepared and stuff like that, and so we need some baristas to do that. Uh, we need some people who would volunteer to help clean the church, to be on a rotation once every uh, two or three weeks to help prepare the church for a Sunday. We need, goodness, we need people in children's ministry because that's expanding and what we're trying to do. And we need people who would be greeters, who would be on a, every other week trans, uh, uh, schedule uh, to greet, especially if you speak Spanish. And so I'm inviting you to, to be a pillar in our church and support the weight of your church, And in turn, we together bring people to a saving relationship of Jesus, who then begins to help them out of their dysfunction, just as he's helping us out of our dysfunction. Look at verse 3. He said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. There's another thought. Jesus is always calling to the front those who religion pushes to the back. See, the religious didn't want anything to do with this guy other than throw him a few coins to appease their conscience. The sick were not someone, the disabled were not someone to be invested in because they were not a good return on investment. And what I love about our God is that he has made a habit out of investing in people that society and the church in the past has said, you're not a good investment. And God says, I think you are a good investment and I'm willing to invest in you. See, I appreciate the fact that God does not give preference to those with an unblemished past. I appreciate that He does not focus on those who were voted most likely to. That His message of mercy is not limited to up-and-comers. I am thankful that he does not place weight on family heritage and pedigree. I appreciate that he does not seek out the strong and fearless, but he's willing to work with the weak, that he does not reserve his kingdom for those with talent and natural ability. I'm still amazed when I read, in Hebrews 11, the the, the the hall or the chapter of faith, that in among such greats, among Noah and Abraham and Moses and Joshua, is the name Rahab, a former prostitute. It's God saying, I'm willing to work with anyone who's willing to say yes. That he's willing to invest in those that society says, you're not a good return on investment. And God says, I will prove you wrong. I love the fact that Jesus did not give up on Peter after denying him three times. That God has this habit of calling to the front those who religion pushes to the back. Noah, if you don't know, was known to get a little tipsy. And Abraham was too old and Jacob was a deceiver. And Leah, well if you know the story, let's just say Leah could not compete with the beauty of her sister. And Joseph was abused, and Moses had a stuttering problem, and Gideon was afraid, and Samson was a womanizer, and Rahab was a prostitute, and Jeremiah and Timothy were far too young to be in the ministry, and David was an adulterer, and Elijah was suicidal, and at one point Isaiah preached naked. There's an idea for opening Sunday at the new place. And Jonah ran from God, and Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Jesus. Thomas wanted more proof of the resurrection. And John the Baptist ate bugs. And yet there is this story, this consistency of God saying, I'll take them all. And I can use them. Because it's really not about you. It's about my spirit working in you. And I love that about our God. So here's the good news for you today. You have a place in the kingdom. Not just eternity later, but a place in the kingdom message today. It's one of the hills we die on, right? Everyone gets to play. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter if some said you're not a good return on investment. God says, I'll prove them wrong. Everyone gets to play. Now, Jesus knows he's being watched. And so he asks a question that should be real, relatively simple to answer. But when you're tied up in religion, suddenly that becomes a difficult answer. Uh, Mark 3, verse 4. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And These guys are silent. They're like, he's kind of got us, but we can't say anything because he's not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Now, remember, Sabbath was a day of rest created by God uh, as a gift to us. Now, the Sabbath established in the Old Testament, it was all foreshadowing leading to Jesus who would become our Sabbath rest. The idea is that we no longer work for our salvation, that it's, it, it's the grace of God. It's not by our own effort or by our own toil. Jesus becomes our uh, our Sabbath rest. And so these guys are watching Jesus quite closely to see if he was gonna work. Now, the, by the time Christ came, uh, these rules and regulations have produced a heartless, cold, and arrogant brand of religion. They were so tied to their preferences, they were so tied to the religious preferences that they could not see the work of God that was going on before them. Here's one, another thought on religion. Religion makes your preferences, your personal preferences, a biblical principle. And their preferences that they wrote themselves was what was and was not considered work. And so they were putting their preferences above the move of God that was about to bring healing to a man's hand. We are in trouble anytime, hear me, anytime we become more interested in protecting our preferences more than promoting God's purposes. We all have preferences in church. I have preferences in church. Here, 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 hey, listen, I've been a worship leader a lot of years. When I led worship, monitor was always on my left side. My left ear is going deaf. And what started to happen is when worship goes on and I come in in the morning and I'm going over my notes, there is like a, some frequency range that has been lost that just makes it like the, the muscles in my neck starting to throb. And my first thought is I wanna to go to the sound guy and say you gotta turn it down. The issue isn't so much the volume. I know some of you, you think it's too loud. But the issue is that I've lost some, some frequency range in my hearing that is making things uncomfortable. But that's a preference at this point, And I won't make that a biblical mandate or make the entire church suffer through that. Part of it is, you know, bad practices with a monitor. Part of it is welcome to almost pushing 50. But we're in trouble anytime we want to make our preferences a biblical mandate, or we try to put our preferences in front of the work or the purpose of God. And it looks different for everyone. Now, I've been in ministry for a long time. I've seen people leave both churches I've been involved with in the past and this church, as well as pastor friends that I have. I know their stories. And people have removed themselves from otherwise healthy churches for some pretty silly reasons personal preferences like well you know they cut back on the hymns and so we left or the sound was too loud or the worship leader had tattoos or the pastor started preaching from the niv they brought a woman pastor on staff or they changed the communion wafer or the pastor got a new car and i think it's too expensive and we take personal preferences and we allow the enemy to get in and begin to agitate until it removes us from the community that God wants us to be in. We are in trouble anytime we're more interested in protecting our preferences more than promoting God's purposes. And these guys were so about protecting their preferences of what was and wasn't work, they were willing to let a man miss out on a miracle. Look at verse 5 and 6. He, Jesus, looked around at them in anger. And deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Now at this point, even the naysayers are like, praise God, look what Jesus did. No, that's not what happened. Look at verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Suddenly Jesus is number one on the most wanted list. You got your murderers you're thieves you got people who harm children and you got jesus who healed a man's hand and so they go out and they start to plot to kill jesus here's a thought on religion religion sees the sins of others but ignores or diminishes its own these guys are about to kill jesus because of his sin perceived sin And yet no one took a step back to say, we're about to kill Jesus. They could see his sin, but they're they're totally blind to their own sin of about to murder someone for something quite silly, even if they didn't believe he was the Son of God. Now, as we make our next step in the journey of this church, let me clearly state something for us. We, know that last, next slide there, we are not religious. We are not tied to religious protocol, religious rules, religious regulations. We have stepped beyond a religious culture and stepped into a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ and being... Because we're not religious, it means that we will not diagnose people's problems while doing nothing to help them out of their problems. It means that we will not look for a reason to accuse and to critique. We will be pillars and not caterpillars. Because we are not religious means that we will not push people to the back just because they are not like us. Because we are not religious, it means that we will not make personal preferences biblical principles. And it means that we will not see the sins of others while ignoring our own. See, our community, as communities around the world are the same, what they don't need is more religion. And what they don't need is more religious people adhering to a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts. What they need are men and women and children who are committed to living a life centered on the teachings of Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. What our community needs are men and women who are committed to living a life centered on the teaching of Jesus Christ, and that is a community-changing church. So we've been working on the signage for the new church, going around in circles on it, and trying to figure out what we're going to do. What's you know what, what's this going to be? And uh, there's a, when we when we stepped into knowing that the church was happening. As a staff and some of our leaders, everything went on the table. We we're like, "All right, what are we going to get rid of? What stays? What do we want to? Let's dream again. What, what does this need to look like? What do we want ministries to look like?" How, and so we've been working on signage and and a few things. And so one of the things, go to that slide. One of the things you're going to see is a much better color scheme that will be coming in the next couple of weeks. We get rid of that green and yellow fresh and squeezy uh, thing there. So. Uh, the other thing you're going to notice is the logo change that will be coming, that will be rolled out uh, over time. Uh, don't go to the next slide yet, I'll call for that one, but you'll notice underneath the, uh, the logo there, uh, there's a tag phrase, and we wanted to communicate something uh, of who we are to the person driving by, so they would get an idea of, all right, this is what the people inside of that building, this is what they're about, and we wrestled with it, and, so the, that tag phrase that you can't see, we'll put it on the next screen. We are, go to the next slide, we are Reveal, a, G, a, a Jesus-centered community. Now, now let me explain something to you. Let me explain something to you. Some of you are going to look at that and you're going to say, well, why isn't the word church in there? But well, we already said we're not going to make our preferences, biblical principles, right? The word church, you're not going to find it in the New Testament, The idea was an assembly or community, something. The other thing is, is that there are some things in life that should be self-evident. When I introduce myself to someone I don't know, I don't say, hey, my name is Marty Human. There are some things that if you're doing it, it should become self-evident. And if the church is being the church, if we are a community, a Jesus-centered community, it will be evident that we're a church. And that what, what, what our culture, what that community doesn't need is a new church coming in that just brings more religion and more religious people. What it needs are those who make up the church to be centered and committed to living a life centered on the teachings of Jesus Christ. And if we go into that with the majority of the church saying, I am committing to living a life centered on the teachings of Jesus. That will be a life-changing church. And we will be that church. We are a Jesus-centered community. Like the first hill we die on is it's all about Jesus. If we're not promoting Jesus, if we're not preaching Jesus, if we're not talking about the salvation of Jesus, the gift of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and we're just kind of spinning our wheels. And so we are a Jesus-centered community. I've also found that people are starting to pull away from church. But there are a lot of people who are still okay with Jesus. And I would like to present them a Jesus who still saves and still redeems and still restores. And so if we move forward on this, you'll see, well, the signage that will be coming out And I use it as a challenge to all of us that we would step into being a Jesus centered community. That we would step into living a life that is centered on Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much opportunity in front of us, so much opportunity. So many people who need to be reached. So many people who have been turned off by religion. So many people who have been pushed to the back. So many people who have been forgotten and marginalized. Lord, we just want an opportunity to come in and represent Jesus to them. We want to be ambassadors for the kingdom. We want to represent... The love and the mercy and the grace and the truth of Jesus. We want to be a community centered on Jesus, our Redeemer. We want the message of Jesus to be our push forward. We want the cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus to be our foundation. We commit to stepping away from religion and continuing to to embrace a relationship that brings life and hope, that is living and breathing and moving. Prepare us in the weeks that we have left. Prepare us As a local church that is part of a much bigger story, as we take our place among countless others who seek to represent Jesus, our Savior. I speak that over you, church, to be an ambassador for the kingdom of God. And do not let your spiritual enemy tell you that you have been disqualified. Do not believe the lie that you're too busy and you don't have time to invest in things that are eternal. Do not believe the lie that God has not given you any talents or that God's not interested in using you. Today, we say that we are not religious, but we are are devoted to a relationship that we have come to find in Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Listen, if you are a guest, love to meet you. If you would like prayer, we'll have some people who would like to pray for you. We're going to continue the series next week. Don't forget Mother's Day next week. We'll have photo opportunities outside. Uh, invite your children. Uh, to get some pictures with them. Uh, The church is very close. Please be praying. If you can help with the stage or help with sweeping, uh, fill out form, come and see me, something. I'll be there at nine o'clock tomorrow. We'll get that thing rolling. Look forward to seeing you guys next week. God bless you.